Hi, everybody. Welcome to Project Dreammaker. I'm your host, Stephen R. Burns, and I'm thrilled today to have a friend of mine who does unbelievable work, and her name is Lorraine Lamb. She's an outreach worker for Sanctuary. Um, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the show, Lorraine. Thanks for making space for me. <laughs> now, we talk about on the show, this is all about starting out and starting over, and so we always want to go to the beginning. So tell, tell our listeners sort of how you grew up, what that was like for you, um, and maybe how it sort of led to, to where you are now. Yeah, so I grew up in a solo parent household, and uh, my mom and I moved a bunch. We started in Hong Kong, came to Toronto, went to Singapore, and came back. And then even just within cities, we moved houses a lot. So I think I was always really familiar with the idea of transitions. and. Um, always wondered about this idea of belonging. You know, when you move a lot, it's, it's hard to kind of feel settled in one place for a long period of time. So that was my growing up. And um, my mom, for as, as long as I can remember, like faith was a really big part of her life and she made it a really big part of mine as well. And so um, no matter how much we moved, one of the grounding things was we were always plugged into the same church community in whatever city that we were in. So that was kind of like the piece of consistency that I had. And I think it was um, growing up in that space, um, I was taught a lot about, you know, what it means to to love people, you know, like love your neighbor as yourself. We all know that golden rule. Right. Um, and so I think that was something that I just always had in the back of my mind. And the older that I got, I think I just find myself curious about you know, like, who is my neighbor? Like, you know, why, why are some of my neighbors experiencing things that I never have to experience, things like that. And so I think that was the curiosity that led me down a path of just, you know, taking the next right step. And then um, I think out of that is where I really found myself, you know, I would see homeless people and I would just be like, I don't know, I would just feel these feelings that I couldn't explain. Um, you know, it's like, it's not fair. Like, why is this happening? And um and so when I had the opportunity to just kind of explore on my own, it was my mom who forced me to get my license when I turned 16 and kudos to her. And then I started driving myself around to places and seeing if they could use a volunteer or two. And um, yeah, and then I just dove in and got involved in different communities. And then that led me to Sanctuary where I hung out for a while, got to know people in the community, got to know a lot of homeless people that, you know, I would read about in books and textbooks, but then now these people became friends and uh, started working here in 2011. Okay, and so and so Sanctuary is a community, but um, just for our people who don't understand, it's a it's a church, but not, right? Like it's a different kind of, <laughs> like an alternative church. I don't know what term <laughs> we would use for, for that would be. Yeah, uh, it's definitely less conventional. Let's use that word. It's less okay. conventional okay. than a more traditional church setup. Um, so we're definitely, it's a community downtown Toronto, a church first and, you know, all the things, various programs and stuff that happen during the week. It's, um, it's like an outflow of our belief in terms of our faith. And it's also largely led by the community. So people in the community said, Hey, we want to do art. So we're like, great, let's set up a weekly art program. And, um, yeah, I remember our street nurse when she first went on outreach and connected with people, she noticed people in the parks had just really poor um, foot hygiene. And, you know, this is this was new to me, but I didn't realize that, like, you know, if your feet are not well, it's like linked to all these other health realities in the rest of your body. 
And so this nurse started doing foot care on the streets and then was like, we should just start up a clinic to meet people's needs. Um, and so that's how the clinic started. So I think the cool thing is, yeah, like we're a church and we do the churchy stuff in different unconventional ways, but all the other programs during the week are, are just because people really have asked for it. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. And so, and so that's what you do now, right? So you, you're as an outreach worker for, um, and for people listening, they're saying, well, your show is for entrepreneurs, artists, and I have another term I called those in the game. And, and um, last week I had interviewed somebody who runs an NPO, um, wow. a nonprofit in dealing with uh, HIV um, in, I think it's called, remember, HARS in Kingston. Mm -hmm. And so wow. that is a form of its own entrepreneurship. And, and we're going to get to that. But describe to me what a day as an outreach worker like for you what that looks like yeah um i will name that covid has changed a lot of what things look like but um assuming covid were not a thing i think a day in my life is often in the community so i would say like there's kind of three main parts of my work so one part is really being in the building at Sanctuary and connecting with people there in that space. Sometimes that's facilitating meals for people. Sometimes it's just connecting with people who are around the building. Um, and then the other part of my work would be out in the community. So meeting people where they're at. So sometimes that's walking a few specific routes throughout the city and connecting with people there. Sometimes it's visiting people in jail or doing hospital advocacy or helping people move, um, helping people debed bug their place, all sorts of things. And then um, the third piece of the work is sort of the more behind the scenes stuff, like um, fundraising and advocacy and meetings, um, trying to build relationships with those in the neighborhood, um, a lot of education and, and training and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, and like, when you talk about advocacy, um, because, you know, when we were, we were talking off the air, and I asked you, what's what's the biggest struggle, uh, you know, in in your field and and doing that? And would you put um, advocacy there, or would you put um, just seeing the things that you see and realizing that you know we could do more as a society and we just don't? Yeah, I think it's definitely that. I you know it's it's hard seeing the stuff that I see. Um, you know, like finding somebody overdosed in a porta potty never gets easier. Um, but I think the harder part is carrying all the emotions and stuff that you feel about that, and then working to try to actually change the system that has led people to these realities and feeling like the fight is just this nonstop uphill battle. Like, and knowing that we actually have the power to change things but it feels like we're often just screaming right. into this black void of, you know, nobody's listening to us, this black hole, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that would be, again, it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is so people understand it. It really, it really does. When I think about what you're trying to do and the systems in place, we're going to talk about uh, the pandemic here in a second, but it, it just, to me, I don't know how you do it because it would feel like every day I'm just rolling a boulder uphill mm -hmm. and we're, like, and 
and people are just walking by, right? Like the people yeah. just walking by, like <laughs> yeah. literally and figuratively, you know? Yeah. And, and then like, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, oh, you, you, do lo- you do lovely work. Okay. Good yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> so before we talk about the pandemic, let's talk about the reward of the work, because there has mm-hmm. to be a reason that you do this. And mm-hmm. what have you found would be your biggest reward uh, working as an outreach worker? This is probably going to sound super hippy dippy, but I really think the relationships that I've built in this community with people who are often invisible, I think is one of the most incredible life-giving things here. I think um, there's so much under the surface and I think societally we're not very good at being present with people. So like, you know, Hey, how's it going? And someone's like, "Mm, I'm not having a great day. And then, and then it's like, Oh, what what do I say? And then we say like, oh, well, things, don't worry, things will get better. But it's like, well, what if things don't get better, <laughs> right? And I think being in this community, working with people and building relationships with people in this community who have really experienced a lot of really awful stuff, they can tell you, no, things aren't great. And they, we don't need things to be packaged here. I think we can show up fully as ourselves. Um, and there's a level of acceptance in that. Um, and that's been a really huge gift to me. So I think really it's the relationships here. So I've learned a lot about what it means to be vulnerable, what it means to be, you know, myself outside of, you know, doing stuff. Um, and really these people have honestly changed my life. And, and I think a lot of things that I took for granted in terms of like, you know, whether it's just like head knowledge or just like, you know, like faith knowledge that never made sense in the world. I think all of these, um, come alive for me in this community. It's not stale anymore. And, and I think that's something that I, I wouldn't trade for anything else. Yeah, when, and when you say being able to be with somebody and be in their presence, I remember um, when I lived in Ottawa and a mutual friend of ours, Mark Grolo, who will also mm-hmm. be on this show. And we, he was, yeah, he, now the best-selling author, Mark Grolo. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and and um, he would, he was sort of the first to initiate me into um walking down the streets in downtown Ottawa and learning to sit with the homeless, Mm. like just, you know, and helping me understand better that they just being seen was more important than the five bucks, like sitting with them and just seeing how they were doing, right? Like acknowledging their humanity um, was so, was such a big thing because you know, and we can talk about the systems, we probably won't have time to get into it, but the systems that push people to the edges and then don't let them back in, right? Yeah. Like it's like a closed gate. Yeah. And, and so they, there are actually people who are literally watching people walk by them all the time and not acknowledge them or simply being annoyed by their presence. Yeah. Right? You know, it's funny. My, my friend James used to panhandle at Young and Charles in Toronto, which is like basically Young and Bloor. And he developed this gift for being able to um, just, he could look at your feet and tell you what size shoes you wear. (laughs) (laughs) And it was because he was just always like, that was, that was his eye level. And he would talk about how people really never stopped to look him in the eye. And I realized too, that like, you know, I think sometimes we think that like, oh, you know, I'm so generous. I'm giving somebody money. Like I, but I do think there's something about us doing something that 
keeps us at arm's length. It's easier to just do stuff to feel better, but it's really hard to sit in the discomfort with somebody who you have no power to change the reality. And in fact, you might actually feel guilty about being a part of, you know, the system that caused it in the first place, right? Oh, yeah, I know. I mean, I'm feeling uncomfortable right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks for that. Um, Anytime. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I often, I'm the creator and, and um, teacher of an online writing course called How to Write 90 Minutes. And because I feel like our communication as a society has gotten worse, <laughs> uh -huh. and, and yet we communicate more, right? Whether it's, you know, texting or we're like, we're, it feels like we're always in constant communication. So mm -hmm. talk to me, talk to me about that a little bit more um, in terms of your field, what, what that looks like and means for you. Yeah, I think I've learned in this space that communication is actually so much about what is unspoken. Um, you know, like I think mm. people in this community really pick up on things that you say without saying. So a lot of body language, how you stand when you talk to people, um, how good you are at listening and again, being present. Those are all things I think in communication that I think is really important, but often not valued as much as the act of speaking and talking. Um, you know, people who are the loudest in the rooms are usually right. given the most space, right? But I think actually like we need to make space to actually just stop and listen. And I think that's a really huge piece of communicating well in this community. And also like sometimes in this community, people might have um, more visible mental health distresses. They may be in active psychosis. People might be acting out and whatnot. But sometimes when you actually stop and pay attention to what's happening under the surface, so like just right underneath the yelling, they're actually trying to communicate something without the words, right? And so I think communication in this space is so much about not the speaking, but it's about actually stopping and listening. I think the other piece of communication in this work is connected to advocacy stuff, right? Like how to tell people about what I'm seeing in a way that they can understand and not feel alienated in some ways. Um, that's often difficult because some of the stuff that I'm saying is going to be hard to listen, right? Like if I say, hey, mom, you voted for the conservatives and the conservative party just, you know, put forward this bill that's going to criminalize all the sex workers that I know. So you're kind of, it's kind of your fault. No, nobody wants to hear that. And so I have to figure out ways to articulate that message, honestly, <laughs> um, without, you know, shutting people down. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think that that disconnect too, um, in terms of like your, your community, we say we can't do anything, but that, that's really not true. You know, mm -hmm. who we vote for, who we support, yeah. like um, it's a, particularly in municipal and provincial politics matter, right? Absolutely. Because it, like, again, referring back to, to Gilles and, and what he was saying about how Kingston as a municipality made a decision. And so they've grown their nonprofit from nine to 70 and they've got like an old ambulance that they use to go around wow. the city. Okay. Yeah, and, and, but it was it was the municipal politics that so when people say, oh, you know, it, it, there's nothing we could do that. That's 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 BS because mm -hmm. yes, you, yes, you can. You can pay attention mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. different projects um, like the one that was killed. There was a pilot project and um, was started by the liberals and the, and the conservatives came in. It was only like a three million dollar project and it was designed to get people um, off of welfare and give them education, right? So mm -hmm. basically they're giving them a salary to do that, to go back to school. Wow. And it was, it was successful. It was only about, 
I think it was just under 100 people. But when a new party came in, and again, I'm not picking on a political party here, but when the new party came in, they canceled it. For only, the only reason they canceled it was because it wasn't their idea. It was somebody else's idea. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> that is so petty. I know. Wow. And, and, and so that's why, you know, people need to pay attention to that. Um, and I want to ask you about advice. Hmm. If you could give advice to someone who could do, who wants to do what you do, what would, what would that advice be? I think, um, yeah, I think the first piece of advice I would give is to slow down and stop trying to do stuff. Um, I would say take the time to listen to people who are doing the work and also listen to people and voices that are different from yours. I think um, it's easy to see the world through, through a lens that's similar to yours, but sometimes that actually really hinders us from doing work effectively. So, you know, like I, when I was 18 and I landed at Sanctuary and wanted to like do a bunch of stuff, I remember at the time um, they told me, okay, great, just sit down and have dinner with people. Like if you leave here and feel completely useless, then our job is done. And I realized it was because they really just wanted me to soak it all in, to like listen well, to observe what people were doing. Um, and that was the best way that I could learn how to be in this community well. And I think that applies to so many different things, you know, whether you want to be in this sector or whether you want to be another business owner, you know, like I think there, we have so much to learn from other people who have gone before us. Um, and so I think that would definitely be be the biggest piece of advice. Like just slow down, don't do all the things, like do nothing first and then like, you know, go from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I listen, I could tell you because, and I've mentioned on the show before, I have two friends who have really successful entrepreneurs. And when I created my own online course last year, like I had like, a, I, have a, I still have a ton of learning to do. And, mm -hmm. and that's of course the aim of the show is, is for people who are starting out and starting over and, I was fortunate enough to have a former student come on and, cool. and she's very successful. Yeah. She mentioned, and I mentioned, you know, my age and a white beard, like, you know, I mean, I, I started my business and I'm not a young, a young pop. So people can at any time, if you say, well, you know, I want to be more involved in like mm -hmm. doing some outreach work or some, some charity work on the, on the weekend or like, because maybe you have a day job, right. Mm -hmm. And you, you're like, okay, I'm going to, uh, I want to, I want to reach out to that. And I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna get to um, to that in a second in terms of finishing up. But I, I really wanted to ask you this because it it seems to me that the people that I've talked to that do your in your field, the pandemic has changed things. Mm -hmm. And 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 one of the ways that I I've described it is it feels like the veil has been lifted off. That that sort of translucent covering of, of polite society. Um, how has, it, it feels like it's become somehow easier to see um, discrepancies, inequality. Mm. Um, how, has the, how has the pandemic either altered your view of society or altered the way that you do your job? Mm. I definitely think the veil has been lifted. I also think that people were more willing to have that veil lifted. Because I, I, I do wonder, because I mean, 
the pandemic has made things really tough for people who are homeless, people who are poor, people who are undocumented, right. people who are sex workers. Um, and I think I'm not saying anything different today versus pre-pandemic, but I do think people seem to be more open to hearing about it. And I do think that maybe because people were just cooped up at home more and so they were paying more attention to local things, maybe they right. were scrolling social media more, maybe there was more of this awareness that like, oh my gosh, I could lose my job and I could end up there. Maybe there was more sympathy or empathy that was being grown. I don't know. Um, but like the realities of homelessness and poverty has only worsened since the pandemic, but nothing that I'm saying now is anything different than what, than what I was saying before. We need policies that actually care for the most vulnerable people. Right. We've been calling for more affordable housing for the last 10 years and that like that hasn't changed. So, um, yeah, so I, I do think that the messaging hasn't changed, but I think maybe people are more aware of it. And so I think for me, like, being aware that people are more aware, or at least care more, I'm trying to find ways to communicate the same things that I was saying before, but in different ways, you know, so social media is a really interesting game changer, because before the pandemic, I was really just having a lot more conversations with people to be like, hey, you know, like, this is what I saw, you know, I send out newsletters here and there. But then this last year, I've been realizing that people are scrolling through Instagram, for instance, in different ways. Like they don't just, people don't just want to consume like pictures of cute puppies or whatnot. Like there's still an audience for that. But I think people really want to find ways to engage. So I've been able to try to use social media as a way to communicate things that I'm seeing. Um, and I'm really careful to not use that to say, this is what, needs to happen but I try to use it as almost like a glimpse into my personal brain dumps like here's a glimpse into my journal like this is what I saw today this is what I wish could happen take it or leave it you do what you want to do with that information and there's going to be people that will choose to respond negatively I get a lot of those messages but then there will be people who are going to be like wow like I I never thought about this before I never even knew that homeless people lived on my street that's something that I heard a lot this year um so I do think there's like this increased appetite. I think people want to jump into meaningful things collectively, um, which is really exciting. I don't think I've ever experienced this level of engagement before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I didn't know that. that but but yes, I, I can see why when you pull everything away from people, you say, okay, you're in lockdown. Mm -hmm. you can't. And then maybe it's um, sort of a, a collective, you know, your, your perspective, um, is it changes a little bit, right? You become yeah. a little more introspective and you're like, you know, I don't, I don't know that I have a ton of meaning in my life right now. And, mm -hmm. and I, all the things that I use to keep myself busy, you know, and, and, you know, go, 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 go. And especially in Toronto for people who don't live in Toronto, because <laughs> I grew up in a small town, yeah. the, pace, the pace here is ridiculous. It's it's just like I I don't even know how you handle downtown. Like I when, when I first moved here, I liked some of the juice, but I it literally feels like everybody is running somewhere. Like yes. I, I, and I'm a slow walker, and I'm like, oh, you're one of those guys. I, I get passed all the time. I'm just like, yeah. where are you guys going? And then I have to hurry up and get from point A to point B so that I can get to point C. Yeah, um, totally. And, <laughs> Um, what is it? You, you had said something to me. Um, yeah, you had said something to me in the pre-interview, something about that um, point A to point B. Mm. And, 
and about learning how to sort of rest in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. And know that, you know, I got, I got to get this done to get this done because so much of what you do, and I've used this term on the show before, is holding space, right? Mm -hmm. You're holding space for people. Yeah. That you're literally there with them while you're doing that. Yeah. You're just, just yeah. being present. Yeah, you know, it's, I, I am that point A to B person, but I try to get like, you know, a 2.0 in there as well. Like I try to get as many things as I can done in like, you know, between point A to B, but I'm realizing that like relationships are incredibly ineffective. <laughs> um, and holding space for people well is also incredibly ineffective. Um, it takes time. You can't speed through it. And so being in this community has been such a learning curve for me because there's no fast way to build relationships. There's no fast way to sit with people in the muck. Right. And so, um, I've really had to learn, like, if I'm sitting with someone and they're, they're about to be like, I've just had a really awful day. I need to know how to just be like, okay, you know what? My points B and C and D are not exactly as important right now as being with this person. And I've just had to learn to let that go. And I think so much of that in the context of COVID, I think when everybody was just locked down at home, I think everybody wanted to be in places but they couldn't. And so you're forced to have to sit in this discomfort of just like, okay, this is where we're at and it sucks. <laughs> and we all have to figure out how to be okay with it sucking. Um, yeah. And so I, yeah, so I think people were then finding ways to kind of engage more meaningfully. And for some, it really meant like um, connecting with mutual aids in new ways before. For others, it was really about like just reading the news and you know a growing awareness of what's happening locally around them. Um, there's a lot of mutual aid groups that got together and really started doing stuff in the community. Um, but yeah, like holding space is one of the most important things, whether you're working in this sector or not, like just for meaningful relationships in your life. Like I think if we all knew how to do that better, our lives would be so different. Like I think people wouldn't be as lonely, for instance, because we would actually feel seen as just who we are, right? Yeah, just being, just being seen. Yeah. And, and, and again, it's important for, um, for people like for us as it is for people on the street or, you know, like people on the margins, it doesn't matter if you, if you don't see people or if you don't feel like you're seen, mm -hmm. uh, it's going to take a massive toll on your mental health wise. Totally. Right? Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, so we're, we're going to wrap up and, uh, thanks so much for coming on. And now you, you raise your own salary, correct? Correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. So for people listening and people you know, watching on YouTube, um, Lorraine does unbelievable work. She does the work that a lot of us, I, like, I honestly, I don't know if I could do it. I, I, mm -hmm. I don't think so. I, mm -hmm. um, I think it would be, I think I'd be too furious all the time. <laughs> like I just, I just be wanting to throw shit off the balcony. Like, why, <laughs> yeah. why aren't you live? Why can't you see us? We're right here, damn it! Um, yeah. And so, uh, so anyway, so she does unbelievable work. I'm, I'm gonna put a link below so that they can talk to you or contact you rather. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would love for people to invest in in what she does. Maybe you know, maybe you're busy and you have a, you know, you nine to five and you have kids. And you're like, I, I want to help. How do I help? Well, this is how you help. And is there any other um, any other links or things that you want to talk about before we wrap up? Yeah, I think 
I am definitely open to conversations. So you can connect with me through my social media channels or on my website. Um, I definitely also welcome questions. If I think people, I think questions are always the best way to really figure out how to get involved. I think one of the most frustrating things for me is when people get say like, I wanna get involved and they do a bunch of stuff that they think is really helpful. And then I have to have a conversation to be like, actually all of those peanut butter sandwiches are really unhelpful right now because people don't want more food. So I would love if people want to just find out more, like just, yeah, reach out and, and have a conversation and we can definitely talk about ways. Cause I think there are so many ways that people can get involved, right? Like, you know, we've heard the saying that like, you know, every revolutionary, every revolution needs a person to do dishes. Right. And so right. maybe you're the person that's not able to march right now, but maybe you can actually provide support Maybe you can watch people's kids while they go march, or maybe you can help financially support people who are doing the march. So there's lots of ways for different people in various contexts to get involved. So definitely, uh, yeah, definitely reach out and I would love to dialogue more. Mm -hmm. oh, all right, that would be amazing. So <clears throat> any, everybody then, so Lorraine's links, I'm gonna put them below here in the, uh, on, the, on the channel. And remember, if, you've, if this is your first time uh, coming to the podcast, uh, I have a free writing guide for you. Just click the link below. That's just a gift for you. Um, we appreciate you guys coming on and listening and your support. And Lorraine, this was awesome. Thank you so much for what you do. Um, and thank you for your time today. Thank you.